When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the third episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archid Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue the, about the biggest college and pro tennis headlines. Archid, how you doing this week? Richard, I am doing less than perfect. I am incredibly sick, but you know what? The show goes on. The show must go on. <laughs> and it will... Because we've got a pretty big tournament this week going on in Monte Carlo. And we'll start there. We have the draw. Obviously, the tournament's already started. But it's a very good draw. I'm very happy with this draw. I don't know. What are your initial thoughts? I mean, seeing the potential matchups, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, first things first, I think we need to get this out of the way. Monte Carlo, best looking tournament on tour? Yes or no? Uh, maybe. I could give you that. Um. I'm a bit of a sucker for the Sunshine Double myself, but Ooh, I don't know. I think I think you'd have to go Monte Carlo or Rome, maybe Indian Wells, but I mean definitely not Miami. Indian Wells is up there for me. I love it. I love the look of Indian Wells, but Monte Carlo's up there. I'll give it to you. Yeah, I I mean you have the sea, got the mountain. The players love it. It is gorgeous. It's just, it's just good vibes. Good vibes all around. Yeah, but yeah. Again, back to I mean, what were your initial thoughts? Of the draw. I mean, I think it's a great draw. Yeah, I mean, we maybe missed out on a couple of big names with Alcaraz, Nadal, and Felix, and a host of Americans pulling out because of the rain delays in Houston. But for the most part, I'm pretty pleased with how the draws played out so far and like how it looked at the start of the tournament. I mean, let me take a look at it. There's a lot of really, really great potential matchups. I think the highlight is that potential quarterfinal between Novak Djokovic and Yannick Sinner. Um, two players that are very, very um, on fire right now, especially in, in the case of Yannick Sinner. Um, you look at Novak, one of the greatest of all time, and, you know, such a, you know, I don't know, how, what's, the, what's the word? It's, it's, it's escaping me, but he's the most, one of the most versatile, in my opinion. I mean, I can put him on any surface and I have huge confidence in his ability to perform. So I think, you know, that as a potential is very exciting, in my opinion. Um, you have some really great potential on the bottom half as well. Um, potential matchups of, you know, I mean, I was very excited to see Fritz versus Vavrinka. Um, a vet versus a guy in a very good spot right now in the case of Taylor Fritz. Um, Fritz versus Stefanos is sure to be a good one. I'm curious to see how he'll be doing. Uh, it's been a little bit since we've seen him. And Kasper is going to be also exciting. Potentially against Rublev or Kachanov up there is pretty good in my opinion. But Yeah, that yeah. Rublev-Kachanov being around a 16 match doesn't really feel right at this stage. I mean, to yeah. be fair, neither does her catch Sinner or 
Medvedev Zverev, obviously Zverev is coming back from health, but I think what's really interesting is the fact that Matteo Berrettini is unseated at this event, which tells you all you needed to know. But how do we think he'll fare against in his match against Holger Rune? Um, case at point did in fact look really impressive with his straight sets win over Dominic Team today, and I think Team actually looked pretty good. Like I don't think, I don't think that. Yeah, was I don't a, think. I think the key thing here is that. I don't think team lost. Rune won. He really did. Like, there was no, you know, it wasn't one-sided. It wasn't somebody was having an off day. It was just one player was better than the other. Um, And I think Rune's been showing some really good form recently. Um, It's kind of been up and down, but I feel like we're on one of those ups. And I think, I mean, that foursome right there is very strong in of itself. Medvedev, Zverev, Berrettini, Rune. I think that Holger Rune will come out of this one. Um, I could see this one. I don't going, hate it. Yeah, I could see this one going to a third set, but I think I I see it somewhere in the realm of like a seven five six four, something yeah. like that. A bit hard fought, but still probably in the realm of a straight sets victory. Yeah, for sure. I mean that quarter, especially even with Medvedev being on clay, like he's still a force. He's not a bad player on clay. He perhaps is a little more uncomfortable than you'd normally think he is on a hardcore or even the grass. But Medvedev is not a bad clay court player. He's had results on the past. He's he's even done well at Monte Carlo. I think he beat Djokovic in 2019. That was kind of when he was beginning to establish himself as like a top 20, top 30 player before that monster fall that he had. But yeah, Medvedev looks good. Zverev looks Medvedev Zverev looks like it'll be a real battle. Berrettini Runa, Fritz Lehechka, I'm interested in great ball striking in that one. Agreed, yeah. I mean Lehechka's been on such an up recently. He's been really playing so so well over this calendar year, and it's been really interesting and exciting to watch him kind of grow. Um yeah. I'm excited to see where he goes in the future. But on the topic of Medvedev, honestly. I think the thing is we've seen in recent years he's become, you know, more comfortable um, on the clay slowly. I mean, we saw it at Indian Wells. He complained a little bit about those courts. But I think, you know, part of what you can take away from that is that he's becoming more... He's he's really just being uncomfortable and he's starting to be be okay with that, you know? It's it's really tough because, you know, he's not a clay court player, but I think it's really important for him to get used to um, being uncomfortable. And like you said, he beat Djokovic in 2019 on, on the clay, and, I mean, he's he's got it in him. And, I mean, last year he had a good result at the French Open, fourth round, the year prior, quarterfinal. So we know we ha- he has it in him. Um, but it's gonna be very interesting to watch him progress over this week. Um, yeah, I absolutely. really enjoyed the first round match of Bublik Zverev. I mean, I I thought that was gonna be very interesting to watch, and it and it was, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll throw yeah, it back I, to you. Yeah, I mean, with Sasha Bublik. You never know what level he's going to show up at. 
But it feels like every time he comes up against a top player, specifically Zverev, he always just manages to cause some kind of problem. He stays locked in for those moments. He's just, he's an incredible talent, really fun to watch. And yeah, he always comes up with a, a dazzling display of shot making. For sure. I mean, I think there's some other like important, I guess you'd say, results were Hashinov with the win over Davidovich Fakina in the round of 64. Davidovich Fakina, the defending chip or defending finalist here at Monte Carlo from last year, where he lost out to Stefano Tsitsipas. But when it comes to Davidovich Fakina on this surface, I feel like this is the perfect surface for him where his athleticism kind of comes together and yes. the shot making is good. He has time yes. on the ground strokes. So that's a really, really good win for Hachinov, who has kind of just become this hallmark of consistency in the past eight months or so. And especially on clay where his strokes have time and I think... He's he's consistently had good results at Roland Garros where he's reached fourth rounds relatively consistently. I think the only time I remember him having a tough loss to Kei Nishikori in 2018 or 2019. But other than that, he's very consistently made fourth round. He's made the quarters here before and at the past two slams, he's reached the semifinals. So I, I wouldn't, you know, and he did even make the semifinals in Miami. So Hachinov has become really, really consistent. He's knocking on the door of the top 10 now. I like what I'm seeing from him. So let me ask before we move on to our next topic. Any kind of, I don't know if it's too early or, you know, just early enough. Predictions on maybe who our champion will be, uh, who our finalists will be. I know it's kind of gutsy, uh, you know, it's bold to go this at this stage, but to be fair, we, we are good about. I uh, normally, if Novak's in a draw and nobody else who can challenge him is isn't in the draw, then I would go with Novak as a consensus favorite. But like the past couple of years, haven't Monte Carlo hasn't been good to him. Yannick Sinner. Uh, I mean, I, I think. I think it could be Yannick. I think he can do it. He has it in him, in my opinion. I, th- I think he can. I- I'm not worried about the tennis, to be honest. I think he can do it. If he gets, if Djokovic center is the quarterfinal, then, I mean, I might even pick center for that. But what's really interesting is that if Djokovic center is that quarterfinal, I probably the winner of that would be the favorite to win the tournament but also you know you can't count out Stefano Tsitsipas who's a two-time defending champion here you can't count out guys like Holger Runa Matteo Berrettini even Zverev Medvedev's always capable of making a run Taylor Fritz I actually really like I do think he is gonna have a decent clay court season this year I, I just think the clay gives him the time for his weapons. I am a little worried about the athleticism, but I'm not worried about the shot tolerance and the weapons that he possesses. If you had to give me a prediction, I am going to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm down to center Casper Rude. You know, I'm going to go with center. Okay. 
I I'm I'm with Center, but I agree with you. I I think Casper Ruud is a good name uh, to watch out for. Taylor, I agree, could have a good clay court season. I don't really see him going all the way just yet. I but... could see him getting to the final though. I agree. I agree. Um, but to I think be fair, Kasper if he Rude's beats a good name. if he beats Lehechka in the round of sixteen, which I think is still a winnable match for him. Lehechka could pose some serious problems, but I think that's still a winnable match. If Fritz could beat Lehechka, and then does he have Tsitsipas in the quarterfinal, or does he have? He would have Tsitsipas. I mean, if you're and ever going to beat of that, will play one of the four of Kasparud. Oh, okay, Medv- so um Struf, Kachanov, Rublev. Yeah, I mean, there's no Djokovic in that half, so really, it's a crapshoot, but. I don't hate Fritz's chances, but I also, it's tough for me. I agree, for sure. But the ATP being in Monte Carlo, the women actually don't have a tournament this week, which is quite odd. But with that said, you know, there's so many things that could happen uh, because there's no women's uh, tournament this week. There are players who like to play back to back to back and um, keep a streak going of, you know, form and staying active and staying fit through match play, through tournaments, you know, not just going and training. But, I mean, I just think there's a big impact because there's no tournament this week. It's going to be very interesting to see how they do because the next two weeks for the women are two pretty big tournaments back to back from Stuttgart to, I believe, is it Madrid or Rome? Is it Rome? I believe uh, Madrid. it's Rome. Madrid. Sorry. Yeah, it was Madrid. Okay. Should I should have stuck to my gut. But two regardless, two very big weeks back to back. We know that Stuttgart is I mean, Stuttgart is one of the bigger 500s on the women's tour, if not one of the biggest. Um so how I mean, I think it plays a lot I've I've said it already, but I think I mean, Archie, what do you think? How much is, you know, not having having a week with no tournament gonna play into, you know, a very big two tournaments coming up. Yeah, quite frankly, I'm surprised that there isn't a tournament going on right now. You'd think that with the way last week had started out where they had the 500 in the 500 level event in Charleston, the 250 in Bogota, and then there's just a week on the calendar where there's nothing in the lead up to the French Open where it, and then sure April 17th you hit Stuttgart and then you go to Madrid then Rome but I'm I'm quite frankly disappointed that there isn't an event I think there's clear possibilities to have one uh I'm surprised that Monte Carlo doesn't have a women's tournament in general but, but yeah, I don't think I, the men play in Rome they do. They do? What was the trade-off? Because yeah. I know there's one trade-off because I think there's... Or the men there definitely just more, play. There's just there more just men's more, tournaments. Yeah, there's just men's more men's tournaments. Yeah, because I the know, men go... That's always go, weird to me because I'm used to be to having like, oh, there's always an equal, equal number, so like they might play here. Oh, I know what it is. Guadalajara. Yeah, but the even new, even yeah. then, I mean, even still, then, yeah. there's, a, there's a pretty big disparity throughout the calendar Agreed. of... Agreed. Yeah how often do women get a chance to play versus the men? 
and it's tough. That's why you see so many like stacked two fifties where like the number eight seed is Daria Kasakina. Yeah. No, that's so fair. It's. I feel like it's a problem that tennis needs to address. Is how do we get our tennis players on the court? I don't think that should be a a very what's the word I'm looking for. I don't think that should be a very di- controversial. Yeah, con- I don't think that's. Thank you. I don't think that should be a very controversial opinion. I agree. I, don't know, I, mean, I just I just always thought of, you know, because I'm used to, the, you know, the women play every week, but I never, until I started actually, like, really, really analyzing and diving into and, you know, really looking at the calendar, realize, like, <laughs> the difference in how many 250s versus 500s versus 1000s. Obviously, there's the four slams, but, you know, I, I agree for sure. And it's very weird to me. I'm I'm really used to there being action on both tours and... I don't know. It's really weird. I think also what's really weird to me is that Stuttgart is like there are some tournaments on the women's tour that are 500s that are like just historically so big and such staples that they are at times treated like even 1000s just not to the fullest extent because the points aren't there. And I think of Charleston. I think of Stuttgart. I think of the City Open. Um... There's a lot of, you know, moments where, you know, really it could be a 1,000, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be very interesting for me to watch how that plays into next week, just having that one break. Some players are going to benefit from it, you know, having that extra break. But some players are going to, you know, really lose on it because they don't have that match play. I mean, some people prefer match play to practice. Some people prefer... Trading. I mean, even throwing a 250 in this week to just allow the players a, a, a low pressure, kind of go out there and, you know, just give it all you got because you got nothing to lose kind of tournament. Yeah, I, I'm just taking a look at the WTA calendar right now. And as of today, before Roland Garros on the clay, there are two 250s and they're both the week before Roland Garros, and they're both in the same week. And if you compare that to the men's side, you'd get, let's see, there's, hmm, give me one second. There's a 250 in Munich next week. There's another 250 in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And Herzegovina, yep. Yes. Um, there's a, another 250 in Geneva the week before the French Open, and then there's another 250 in uh, somewhere in France. It's in it's in Lyon. There's another 250 in Lyon. So okay, here's what I have to say though. I think the fact that the women have 125s is a little bit. Well, yes, but the thing is, is how often are the best players in the world going to be playing 125s? And Rare. if you don't, and if you, and if you don't offer the two fifties and the five hundreds and the masters, or not the masters series, but the one thousand level events, if you don't offer those sorts of events to the top players, they in turn are going to start because they want match play. They're going to start filling in the draws for lower scale events. I mean, and then yeah, what I'm does l- that I'm do? Looking at it, you had Bogota, uh, the two. There was a two fifty in Colombia, and then, like you said, just those two two fifties the week before and. You know that a lot of those players are gonna be at 
you know, like yeah. you mentioned, a two fifty where the eighth seed is Daria Kazakina. You and know, and the problem and the problem with that is is I'm all for those fun events where there's all the big names playing. Just make those bigger scale events so there's room for the lower ranked players to actually improve upon their ranking. Try and get into the bigger events. I agree. Because they're gonna, because obviously you're gonna give the higher ranked players the priority, and then what happens to lower ranked players that really need those points and rely on the two fifties and one twenty fives? Yeah. To and it's a push problem we forward. see pretty, and it's a problem we see pretty consistently throughout the WTA tour is that there aren't enough events, especially with all of with the lack of events being played in China due to Peng Shui's absence. And yes. I mean, we still haven't heard from Peng Shui, but that's that's a story for another podcast. But if you take if you just look at the fact that there aren't enough events on the clay for this French Open lead up, we still don't even know where the WTA finals are going to be. There's just a lot of scheduling not problems, yeah. but there's just a lot of scheduling mishaps and a mishandling of how things work where players can't schedule properly. And that in turn affects training blocks that in turn affects how they prepare for their tournaments. I've, and it, it feels like the more tournaments you can get, the more spots there are for players to play. Obviously there's a lot more that goes into that, but for the most part, there has to be a way to get more of these high end level events available for the top players to play so that in turn the lower ranked players can also get entry into the 250s of the world the 125s and really make a and really build upon their ranking and make a push for the the slams and with that said a a point that i also want to make that i think we'll delve into more before wimbledon but a point that i've always found really frustrating is you only have post Roland Garros. You have three, like three weeks, to play grass tournaments and get ready. And I want to go back to Iga Swiatek's loss at Wimbledon and struggle at Wimbledon last year, which was really interesting to watch because this was the number one player in the world. You were looking at one of the longest, you know, winning streaks in recent history, and you were looking also at a player that. Mind you, literally won Wimbledon as a junior. So we know she knows how to play on the grass, especially the, gla- the grass at the All England Club. But why are there only three weeks in between the French and Wimbledon for players to get practice on grass? It is dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. Well, and that, there's that's only generally- three in, in England. <coughs> Sure, everything else is within the area. You have one in Italy, two in Germany, uh, one in the Netherlands. But, like, I just think there needs to be a bit more time for players to get used to it. Because the thing is, from from clay to grass is the harshest transition in tennis. You're going from slow with a high bounce to fast and a skid. It's not clay to hardcourt. It's not grass to hardcourt or vice versa in any direction. It is from the two extremes of tennis courts back to back. And there's just so many questions that need to be included in scheduling. I think there needs to be more 500s, more 250s in between there. You need to up, bur- like 
Esport is one of those tournaments that could easily be treated as a freaking 1,000. Birmingham well, and Nottingham I, I think, could be 500. Like, honestly, also, yeah. why is there no Grass 1,000 tournament? Well, I, so here's that is that's the main question, isn't it? Is that there, there aren't enough more? There's just there's just no events for players to play on grass. I love the clay season. I love the hard court season. I also love the grass season. Yes, but there isn't any room for players to. There's barely a grass season. It's it's four Wimbledon weeks. and yeah, it's four weeks. Or it's sorry, Wimbledon six, it's, and then it's five weeks. It's five weeks long. Three weeks of like two fifties, one twenty fives, and five hundreds. And then Wimbledon, and then we're back to the hard court. And the problem is, is that people will say, oh, well, the players don't play well on grass, so it's not really a big sacrifice. The problem why, the reason why players don't play well on grass is because there aren't any events and there's no time. Because they're coming off of a grueling clay court season with the French Open, and then there's a one-week lead-up, and then two weeks later, you're close to Wimbledon. Like, There's also a lot of players that their game is made for the grass. The first one that comes to mind is Maxime Cressy. That oh, uh, Cressy, kind of, Cressy does actually do well on the grass, though, when he plays. No, yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, that's I think that's also because players don't get practice. I mean, Cressy's, you know, serve and volley game, keeping short uh, points short, flat, um, just flat strokes, serve and volley – it's made for the grass. And there's, yeah, players, and there, like and there's plenty of players on Medvedev, tour. Medvedev, yeah. I think, would do so much better on the grass if he had the extra week or two of tournaments. Like, yeah, and perhaps it's just, a, a different returning position, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, he, can, he can get out of Valhalla for returning, but, you know. <laughs> but I, the main problem is that, first of all, there aren't enough play... Like, there aren't enough chances for the players to play on grass... And it just results in this continuous loop of players grueling out a really tough stretch on the clay and then just manage, it's like stumbling their way through the end of the French Open and then taking two weeks off and then just showing up at Wimbledon for the check and then not feeling like you have an actual chance at winning a title. Yeah. Uh, And honestly, what would help with that is having a Grass Masters 1000 because then that makes the event mandatory. It creates more space in the calendar for players to play on. They're going to play there more consistently because there's and points th- available. And I think it should be Eastburn. Well, I think the problem with a lot of the UK UK tournaments is that the grass is hard to maintain with weather. Yeah. And also, I think um, there's just not that much space. Uh, uh, Cracked Rackets contributor Gil Gross actually had talked about this earlier, but he had suggested that we get rid of the 500 or at least on the ATP side that we get rid of the 500 play court event in Hamburg that is the week after Wimbledon because quite frankly we don't have to worry about a 500 event on post Wimbledon clay I it's not really sustainable so I Hamburg used to have a grass event why not turn it into well if i'm not mistaken but why not turn that event into a grass masters 1000 move it a week before wimbledon and then push wimbledon back play that grass masters 1000 and then go straight into wimbledon and then just lean into the hardcore season that way you give the grass enough time 
I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like, it feels like they just need to invest in producing grass court tennis as a product. That's honestly a great idea. Well, well, well done to my new house, to my fellow new house brother, Gilgrass. Um, no, I think it's a great idea, and honestly... I should have just taken credit for it, but it's okay. We love you, <laughs> no, Gil. No, um, I I think um, it's a, a we need to have a Grass Masters 1000 just because, like you said, it makes it mandatory, and it also sets a really good stage for Wimbledon. It also helps hype up Wimbledon because... I mean, every single time that we have a slam, what's one of the questions that always comes up? How do they do in the tournaments leading up? Like, when it comes to the French Open, we're going to ask how did players do at Madrid and Rome. When we get to the U.S. Yeah. Open, we're going to ask how do they do at in Cincinnati? How do they do in Canada? You know, we look at the, the tour finals and we ask how do they do in Paris? Yeah, I, all of the five big events on the on the tour, we always look to those one thousands. Like, I'm sorry, with all respect, Roland Garros comes. We're not asking how they do in Geneva and Lyon at the two fifties. U.S. Open comes. We didn't ask how they how they do at Winston Salem. Like the the one thousands set a very good stage and set a very good you know hype level for the upcoming Slam. And I agree. I think it's a great idea. You know, to put that one thousand right before the the championships. Yeah, well, it's it just it feels like a problem when when people discuss how are how is someone gonna do at Wimbledon? We point to last year's Wimbledon results. Yes, so much so, can change in one year. I mean, I think here's the thing. Like, I mean, let's look at. The Australian Open. If you told us at the last Australian Open that Arena Sabalenka would do what she did, we would have <laughs> laughed. We would have laughed. But she has improved so much over the last year and has made so many great strides in her game that, like, now it makes sense. But with that, but with that said... You know, a lot ran of, over, we apologize for the a lot of, tennis scheduling a lot of rat. the... You know, speaking of a lot of, you know, strides in a year, strides come from great coaching. And with that said, we have big news in the coaching world. Dominic team has split with his coach, Nico Masu. And so the question remains, this will be a, li a little bit shorter for hopefully. We promise. We'll, we'll do our best. But who do we think will replace Masu as Dominic team? Uh, as Dominic Team's coach, I have a few ideas. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if you want me to start, if, or if you want to start. Uh, it's I think, up to I you. think, I think before we go into who should be Team's next coach, we should actually acknowledge what Masu did for. Absolutely, team I mean, for starters, Nika Masu is a was a phenomenal player in his own right when he was on the tour. I believe high of world number four, <laughs> Olympic medalist. Yeah, he won an Olympic player. gold for Chile. And I mean, like a great, such a great kind of representative for Chile, um, a country that doesn't always get representation in the sport. I mean, it was you know what him like him Marcelo Rios. Now we have Christian Garin. Yeah, but I was a like, phenomenal are you, are player. Are you forgetting his... about Christian Garin? <laughs> yeah, but... Wimbledon quarterfinalist, by the way. Okay, grass <laughs> tangent over. Sorry, it's Clay season. Yeah, but a phenomenal player in his own right. 
I mean, if you want to just go on about all he's done with the team, I mean, they, they achieved a lot. Well, I mean, I, th- I think they partnered together 2019 or before the start of the 2019 season. And look at what team has accomplished before then. And then look at what he did then. 2019 wins an Indian Wells title, reaches the final of the French Open for a second consecutive year and actually takes a set off of Rafa that time. That 2019 Roland Garros final, very underrated, by the way. But sorry, let me continue. Reaches the French Open final that year. Then the next year, oh, I don't know, wins a major title and reaches and beats Nadal at the Australian Open that year in 2020, beats him in the quarterfinals, gets and then beats Zverev in the semifinals, and then gets to the final against Djokovic and takes a two sets to one lead and actually pushes Djokovic to the brink in Australia, which is something very few players do. Team in that span also, you know, won his US Open title in that. A thriller coming back from two sets to love in the final against Sasha Zverev, as well as a semifinal straight sets win over Medvedev at the U.S. Open, which seems downright impossible. But there were periods of it. There were there was a time where team legitimately was on par with Djokovic and Nadal, and w- made the case for being the best hardcore player in the world. I believe he had wins over Djokovic and Nadal in those in that time span. Uh had a win over Federer beat him in the 2019 Indian Wells final. He did great he, at the tour finals, which is where yeah. he I believe counted those wins against Djokovic. Actually I think there there was this one there so in 2019 he had a a three set thriller with Djokovic in that he won in like a deciding set tiebreak in on indoor hard courts. First of all, who does that? Then the next year, I believe his first match was then a straight sets win over Federer. Or no, it was 2019. He beat Federer, then Djokovic. And then in 2020, he then beat Nadal in straight sets at the O2 and then also beat Djokovic that year. Two years in a row, he beat Djokovic at the ATP Tour Finals. Yes. I'm still surprised that he never actually won the ATP Finals because he lost in the final to Tsitsipas and then Medvedev. But, I mean, what team did in that stretch was unequivocally Hall of Fame material. And it, while I am sad to see that team and Masood no longer are partnering together i do think that ultimately it is the right decision for the both of them and i yeah i'd be interested to hear a couple of the names that you have in mind for who you'd like team to bring in or even if you have someone you'd like masu to be coaching that's actually an interesting one (laughs) who who masu could be coaching there were a few names that went through my mind uh when i thought of who dominic team could bring uh as his new coach um I think I think Thomas Muster is realistic for the Austrian connection. Um, fantastic player in his own right. Um, I have said that I would enjoy Jim Courier. Um, I could see a return to coaching for someone like a Stefan Edberg. I could see that. Uh, I Thomas wouldn't mind jo- it. Yeah. Thomas Johansson is currently coaching Serena Kristea on the WTA tour and doing phenomenal work with her. But the player that I would love to see him bring on as his new coach, um, 
this is opening a can of worms that we will get to on another on a on a later podcast episode. But Matt's Vlander, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated players. Um, dare I say ever? Um, such a good player in his own right. Seven slams was a phenomenal player, um, and I think that he would make a phenomenal coach um, for Dominic Team. Um, I mean, he was just such a such a great player to watch, and um, he has such a fun game that I think would pair nicely to you know lend Dominic Team some insight, some knowledge. You know, um, there's a lot of avenues that he could take. Um, I would just love to see him go up uh, and you know take Matt Vlander. Um, I just the only question is obviously we don't know how willing Vlander is to coach at all right now, um, but you never know. I don't know. Um, as far as Nico Masu, I don't want to be. Ba- I, I'm going to be basic, and I'm just going to say it. I would love to see what he would do with Christian Garin. I um, think he actually is working with Garin too, because I know they did yeah, a lot Chilean of stuff. Connection. Working. I know they've done stuff together, but I would love to see him. Yeah. I I don't know if they're if he's. On with him full full time. Would love to see what he could do. Yeah, I think he's definitely. I think he's definitely in an advisory role with him right now. Um, I know they have experience working together with the Chilean Davis Cup team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say with. I, I think Masu generally enjoys working with young Chilean players. I would like to see what he does with Garin, but with I think Masu well, very good at. You know, coaching young players that are coming up, and yeah, you know, to me, to me, the strength that he gave team was instilling kind of a confidence to yeah. maybe to go with the biggest game style possible at the biggest moment, and that's kind of what worked with team. I mean, obviously, they did plenty of stuff physically and on the tennis court as well, but that would just be one of the things that Masu gave him mentally and emotionally. They uh, they do have a very good relationship as well, Team and Masu. They seem quite. They seem like it was a very mutual decision to just decide to end their working relationship. But they seem like they're always going to be on good terms, which is you, you're glad to see that. But with Team, I I liked all the names that you threw out there. Um, I wouldn't even mind seeing a guy like Jamie Delgado. That's in, a great. That's a great pick. Yeah, former Andy Murray coach uh, knows a lot about kind of getting players to their best, knows how to deal with players with injury. I was really excited when I saw that Delgado was working with Shapovalov because I thought he would do really well with Shapovalov, but I guess that didn't take. (laughs) But let me ask, I mean, I think Dominic Team got one uh, one of his nicknames that he had when he was fully healthy pre-injury was the Prince of Clay. So let me ask, because this is something that we discussed that we would love to do, and we're going to start this recurring little mini-segment that we're going to do. It is our Clay Power Rankings. Um, a top five every week of how we feel players kind of land um, on the Clay... And so, as of right now, with the players we have right now, which means 
No Carlos. No Rafa. Unless oh, you want not, to. Are we not are we not including Carlos? Do you want to? I don't know. It's it's <laughs> up to you, my friend, but I don't know if I want to put it. Let's go in to Rafa. running five top five power rankings for the clay. Let's start at number one. Who do you have at your number one spot? Or do you want to go five to one? We'll go we'll go five to one. Okay. So, Actually, let's, let's go one to five. Let's go one to five. It's a little more known. Um, I have I have my one. I think I have my one, too. Is I it, think we have the same is one. Is it Novak Djokovic? Yeah, it's Novak Djokovic. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I, think okay. we really need to Here's go thing, into much explanation. But. Novak Djokovic, period, next. Number two. I don't think there yeah. needs to be explanation. Number two. Until proven otherwise, it's Djokovic. Yeah. Um, Number two, well, I, am, I am... Let me just add a little caveat to my list. I have a list... I'm excluding Nadal from this list As until, I. I, until I know that he's fully healthy. Fully healthy, yeah. The man with, uh, with glass bones. Um, yeah. Number two, are we, are we including Carlos Alcaraz in this? I am. Okay, so number two. One, two, three, Carlos. Carlos Alcaraz. Okay, yeah. cool. Next. We're on the same page. Number three, yeah. one, two, three, Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner? Oh, God. Yeah. I have Yannick Sinner at three. I have a lot of confidence in his ability. Uh, we know he plays my well th- on the My fight. thing is he hasn't really... He hasn't proved it on clay to the guys that I have next on this list. Okay. Well, I don't think so either, but let's get right to it. I think him at his best is better than the other guys. Okay. Well, let's see that. Number four. One, two, three. Casper Stefano Tsitsipas. Oh. Um... Uh, yeah, this I don't is, mind this is this is a power rankings, and after his performance last week, I'm pretty high on Casper Ruud. This yeah, is the surface I, that we know he's comfortable on. This is his moment. This you know is what? You, if, you if, convinced me. You convinced Casper Ruud. If for ever it. it's now, I don't think it's fair to put Stefanos above him right now, just because he doesn't have the results on clay yet. But yeah. Ruud just won a title. With that to said, fair, yeah. With that said, spot. with that wait, wait, one second. Yeah. With that said, long term, I would, I would go with Cincy Pass over Rude. On Agreed, Clay, but this is a but, power ranking. <laughs> but because this is a power ranking, you've convinced me. I'm throwing in Rude at four, and then five. Are we going to go with Cincy Pass? Three, Pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're on the same page here. Any honorable think, mentions you want to throw out there? I want to. We we mentioned him earlier. I'd like to throw Taylor Fritz in the ring. Um, I'd Taylor like Fritz. I don't mind seeing Holger Rune. Holger Rune. I was gonna go there as well. Yeah. I'd like to throw Holger Rune in there. I would like to throw Andre Rublev in there. Rublev is. I, I think like he's, he's quite on good on. He's quite good on clay. Yeah. Um, has some pretty good topspin and a monster of forehand that lends very well. To be honest, to I just his game style on the clay. I if it's versus everyone that's not in the top eight, <laughs> I would have Rublev one. The sure. only problem sure, is he yeah. has to play people in the top eight, and he just doesn't he does. have a great ranking. Yes. Or but not with that great said, ranking, but a great history against them. I honestly, instead of Fritz, I would just throw in that American cohort of Fritz, Tiafo, Paul. I'm just bullish on all of them on clay, which is sure, sure. really I'll weird to that. say. As long as you really hadn't said Ben Shelton. Not um, yet, not yet. I am because just, I am, it's just, and it's not, it's no hate to Ben Shelton. It's just he doesn't have an ex- enough experience playing yeah. playing the pros on clay. Yeah, I'm excited to see Ben on clay pretty consistently. I actually think he's going to be really good on the surface, but I just I need to see it. 
And okay, that's fair. There's just no experience. Now, before we get to our fan questions, women's power five. Start with number Ooh. one. One, two, three. Iga Shviantek. Iga. Yeah. Iga Shviantek. Yeah. Number two. One, two, three. Arena Sabalenka. Oh, I, I, I like, like that. I like that. But I, I'm, that's, I actually have Krejcikova at three. Well, I have Sabalenka at three, so. I think them two are very interchangeable just because we don't have exact results from them yet on the clay. Yeah, um, but I'm, I'm going but I'm with going off of Barbara Krejcikova as a That's former fair. French Open champion. I'm also going off of form, and we know Sabalenka can play on the clay. Add that to her current form. I like it. Well, for but, me, it's just that Krejcikova hasn't done anything yet on the clay, so I'm just going off fair. of what her former, what her history on the surface is. But yeah, okay. I like the Sabalenka pick. Number I, four. One, two, three. Wait, 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 oh, wait. I, wait, wait. I haven't decided. I know um, where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm making a change. Four. I'm making a I'm change. I'm currently trying to think, where, where do I want to go with this yeah, five? I'm, I'm trying to I think. I don't know where I want to go with I, the five. I know where I want to go with the four. I'm, yeah, okay. I'm fairly I confident think I know, in my four. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm confident in my four One, as well. One, two, three. Onjabur. Yeah, yeah. Played very well in Charleston. Great showing. There are about... Six, I think she led. There, there are about five names right now that are yeah, going she, through my mind yeah. for the number I think five spot. She, I think she led. I think Jabur led the tour on wins on clay last year. I think she was she well, not think, second to oh, Iga. I think, I she think was second pri- to Iga. I think prior yeah. to Roland Garros, Jab- I was thinking about prior to Roland Garros. I remember hearing the stat that Jabur had the most clay wins on tour, but obviously she no, lost no, at the it first was, round. It was, it was then, Iga because it, no, it was Iga because Iga beat Ons at the final of Madrid. But Iga didn't play Rome, and then Jabur had no, a good no, showing. No, no, it was the other up. way around. Iga didn't play. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Iga beat Ons in one of the finals, but uh, but did not play in Madrid. That's when Ons Jabur won. And yeah, Jabur won Madrid. But yeah, I know that Ons Jabur okay. did lose at least one. Yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of no. We got to yeah, get to okay, five. Okay, five, five. I don't know where five. I'm going with this, honestly. I have this. I don't either. Five names in my, head, my, in my head right now that I'm just trying to... I don't oh, either. I God. have a feeling I'm going to change it about five different times by the time yeah, you start the countdown. I, but like, honestly, there are like whoever I don't say now is going on the honorable mentions. Yeah. Like, I uh, okay. 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 Let's do it. One, two, three. Caroline. Jessica Garcia. Pagula. I like Caroline Garcia. I have some hope. I know the thing is what what really sways me is I know she can play on the clay. Yeah. The the very close second to what I was gonna say, who is just outside my five, is Maria Sakari. Oh, I forgot Sakari. Sakari knows like she's very good on the clay. She's very I, good on the clay. The I was other gonna... names, there were three more names that were rifling yeah. through my head, or four. Uh they were Daria Kasatkina, Patrick yeah. Kravitova, and Jesse Pagula. No Coco Gofflo. And Coco okay. Sorry, okay. I said four. Sorry. Elena Rabakina is close at the end. The only reason why I haven't that I didn't say her name. I haven't is seen it on clay. I have not yeah. seen her on clay. Yeah. I have exactly. so much confidence on the other surfaces, but I need to see her on clay. I'm not it's, even worried about the movement. I'm not even worried about her weapons. I'm worried about, I'm just I just don't know about the movement and I don't know if she'll be able I'm to I'm just worried about how well she can adapt her game to the clay because she does strike very flat. And we know that historically players that strike very flat have difficulty, you know, transitioning to the clay. 
So yeah. she's going to be very interesting for me to see how she adapts to the clay. Yeah. But with I, that yeah, said. Yeah, I like that. All we right. do need to get to our fan questions. Yes, we should probably get to the first one. Back. We have: Will anyone beat Novak Djokovic in twenty twenty three? If so, who? I mean, I think you and I are going in the same direction with this one. Well, it's it's a it's a host of names, right? It's Carlos, obviously. Yeah, it's Carlos. Daniel. That's the matchup that everyone wants to see. Yeah, Daniel. it's Carlos. Yeah, Medvedev. I mean, he's already beaten him on hard course this year and so. center. Center, yeah. I throw Center in there. I yeah, want it. Fit, I like it. Uh, I, I see it. Yeah. Obviously, a fit and firing Nadal is. Yeah. I mean, I feel pretty a confident. Fit and firing Nadal beats everyone on clay, but that's a given. Yeah. Exactly. Um, if if we get a healthy Rafa Roland Garros, he's winning the French Open. That's just how things work. Oh, agreed. I think that's that's a. Uh, it's it's a given. It's kind of to be expected. Yeah. I I just think we needed it to be said. Yeah. Well, the next question was... Do we have who, anybody else who we think could beat Novak? Well, obviously, under the Novak... Right, under, the, under the right circumstances, sure. But just flat out, I don't think so, honestly. Well, obviously, Novak needs to play, like... You know, like... The matches need to be played. We know that at some point, Novak is going to lose somewhere, and it's going to be to someone unexpected. But... Yeah. It's just the circumstances need to be right. But the next question that we have, who will be the next first-time slam winner? Um, uh, do we want to extend this to both tours, or do you want to do one man, one woman? Um, For the sake of time, why don't you take WTA, I'll take ATP? Yeah, sure. Okay, you, you um, go ahead, then. Okay. Um, I am going to pick... On Jabir. Um, I like it. It's a like little it. bit bold, given that Anz is just coming back from an injury. Um, everybody else that I can really, really see winning one this year already has one. Krejcikova, Kvitova, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Rybakina. I'm hesitant about Jesse Pagula. I think under the right circumstances, Anjabur could, depending on how her momentum and how her confidence and consistency goes through this season, she could be the one lifting the trophy at the end of the French Open. She could. Um, I think Coco Goff needs to... I don't know how to best put this, but there's still bits missing to make her game complete to the point that, like, Sviantek or Sabalenka or Rabakina, obviously no game is perfect, but there is such a thing as a complete game. And Coco still has a little bit left. I mean, she's 19, there's still time, but she's done a phenomenal job up to this point. I think the player that I have the most confidence in at the moment, and I will say... I think it, it it does have to be under the right under the right circumstances. I will pick Anjabur. Yeah, I like it. Actually, sorry, this gave me a little flashback to our power rankings, but I wouldn't mind throwing in Belinda Bencic into that honorable mentions list on Clay. Oh, but, I agree. Yeah. Um, but for sorry. your men, first time <laughs> the next first time slam winner, who do you see it is? I I have my answer for the men's, but I mean I have. I have the guy who I think 
is gonna do it. See, the problem is, is that I don't see it happen. I don't know if I have it. See it if I am. Sorry, the I don't know if I see. It. Yeah. The difficult thing is that the question is next. Yeah. And not is, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah. I but, mean, this has got me like completely tongue-tied. I would go for say. It. Let's hear it. Here's the thing: is that I think, <laughs> I think Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz. They've already got one, and I think they're the suspects to keep winning. Obviously, Nadal, if he's fit. Um, I think we could get plenty of first-time major finalists. But, <laughs> and we will, I think. Yeah. Well, but, actually, I, actually, I'm not sure if we will, but I, I think the obvious name is Yannick Sinner. Yes. I don't know I, if it's going to happen this year, but... I agree. Could. Let's throw, I think, Kasparud could win a French Open. Yeah, Kasparud could win a French Open. Uh, you never I know about Sissi Pass. You never know with yeah, Stefanos. Exactly, Stefanos. But the name I'm just, excited to say, Taylor. Fritz think, could do it. I think Fritz could actually do it. The problem is he just hasn't... I haven't seen the sustained success at Grand Slams for me to say he's going to win a slam. I mean, after last year's US Open, who knows? Maybe Francis can do it. <laughs> yeah, it could even be Tommy. It could even be Karen Kachanov. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I do think at some, I do think ultimately the first one to do it will be Sinner. I wouldn't even. I agree. Maybe, I agree. maybe Runa, but I just, I don't think he's ready. Um, and I think even guys like Rude and Cici Pasa are cut above in, at the slams right now. I agree with you. Um, but with that said, I think that is all the time we have for today for you guys on the Counter Punch episode three. Make sure that you watch out for our socials again at RichardMy03. Uh, that is at RichardMy03 on, on all platforms. At Cracked Rackets, at Suresh Archit. Watch for our socials. Throw us some questions. And if you want to tweet at us, tweet at us and use hashtag CRCounterPunch. Archit, you got anything? Um, No, I guess that's it. Shout out to Cracked Rackets. Uh super producer daniel westoff for the editing job that he has today and for everything we do here at cracked rackets he's the guy all right thank you guys for listening and we will catch you guys next week